0: Back to
1: the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and that is Dr. Bill Robinson.
2: Be afraid. Be very afraid. Today,
1: Dr. Bill and I are doing a focus show. Uh, Not unlike our Avengers Spotlight or our Superman Doomsday Prey episodes, uh, but we're looking at a recent independent book called Fearscape, which is published by Vault Comics. Uh, We actually provided a preview PDF of the first three issues of this series, and it is our intention to cover issue one today, and in all likelihood we will do follow-ups where we cover issues two and three. Uh, it was released on September 26, 2018, with a cover price of three ninety nine. and if I didn't already say, it's published by Vault Comics. It's written by Ryan O'Sullivan. The artist is Andrea Muti, and who is the colorist, Bill? I don't have that open in front of me.
2: Vladimir Popov. Uh, Popov? I'm Pop, um, not good on Russian names. I got the first one right. Vladimir Popov? Okay, P-O-P-O-V. We'll just... We'll just take
1: that as all we need to know. Uh barely so, so say my name. I, I you know, as as anybody who listens to this show regularly knows, I am mostly a Marvel guy and I'm definitely a mainstream guy. So these are creators who have pretty much escaped my uh, my my previous uh, site uh but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what we think about their work here, right? In looking them up, it looks like Ryan O'Sullivan has done most of his work for Image Comics. Uh, he's done quite a bit of stuff. Uh, and then Andrea Muti looks like he's had a uh, pretty he's extensive done a lot of career Marvel, already. Man. He's done for a lot of different companies, including Marvel.
2: Uh, most most recently, I, some um, some Iron Man, um, uh, some of the various Iron Man um, series that came out like Iron Man versus Whiplash in 2010. A um, uh, little bit of GI Joe, which which in 2009 that was on. I can't remember who printed those. Was that Top Cow or did Image reprint those? I'm not certain. So yeah, he's uh, uh, doesn't look like he. I don't see any real DC in his repertoire. But uh, uh, Doc and Dark Wolverine, Invincible Iron Man, Volume Eight. Uh, X Men Prelude to Schism, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. so oh Avengers Roll Call. Yeah.
1: And while I'm pretty confident I'm pronouncing O'Sullivan correctly, I'm not so sure about Muti. I don't know if it's Mutai or something else. You know, he uh, is apparently a resident of a town in Italy, and uh, I, you know, you wonder how they discover people from that far away. But I guess in the internet age, it's easier to do than it was, you know, 40 years ago. The Fearscape is a world beyond our own, populated by manifestations of our worst fears. Once per generation, the Muse travels to Earth, discovers our greatest storyteller, and takes them with her to the Fearscape to battle these fear creatures on our behalf. All has been well for eons, until the Muse encounters Henry Henry, a plagiarist with delusions of literary grandeur. Mistaking him for our greatest storyteller, she ushers him into the Fearscape, doom follows
2: oh that's actually the tag on the back of the cover
1: right now we you know we both obviously have read this already so now uh we've we've both read the book already and i guess we should just give our brief impressions of it uh (laughs) i found it to be a very intelligently written and well drawn book to be you know to give it in a nutshell uh and the intelligent the intelligence of the writing actually humbled me a little bit, because there were some things I had to just kind of check out and figure out what they meant, and uh, it's definitely not something that you can just skim through, which I consider to be a positive, positive. Uh, it, and it's, it's the, the whole premise, I think, is fairly intriguing, so uh, I'm going to start off by saying I'm giving it a thumbs up, and then we'll take it from there.
2: Right, well, I think it's always good that when you can't just pick up a book and skim through it, and You then go back and read it and say, oh, yeah, my initial thought of what happened here, because that's usually the way I read a comic. I'll pick it up, I'll flip through it, giving each page maybe a second or so and just go all the way through and and then kind of formulate in my head. What did I just see? Not really read, but what did I just see? And what's the story I think I'm going to have and then go back and read it? And I just could not I a lot of the images and. And such just made me stop and just really look and go oh wow okay what's what is going on here and oh there's there's words wow there's a lot of words a modern <laughs> comic book with words in it oh amazing so yeah it was it with, with was, words that i have to actually think yeah, about the words that I you know other than smash and 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 run or you know simple three or four little words it, it was very uh refreshing
1: yeah it, it really is i have to say so the cover of the book, and again we're working off a PDF that Mr. O'Sullivan was kind enough to provide to us. Uh, it looks to be, I, I assume, recreating. I doubt that the actual cover is this, but it looks as if it's a hardcover book uh, and well worn. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, where where you start seeing like almost the stitching in the hardcover.
2: Uh, yeah, because it's been rubbed so so much that the that the smooth. The, the solid cover you know, would have that, there'd be raised bumps in a book cover that you wouldn't see. Like once you take the dust jacket off and you throw it down a few times or it gets things stacked on top of it, it would rub those raised p- portions of the, of the book cover, you know, lighter than the regular cover. And that's kind of the way it has that weathered look to um, the front and back cover.
1: And the cover has an image on it of our protagonist. Uh, he looks like he's walking through the fearscape, kind of taking it all in. And there's a shadow on the wall, which has me thinking Minotaur, but I don't know exactly what it's supposed to be.
2: hmm And if you notice, it's not just on, the weathered look is not just outside of the picture. It's actually on the front. It's on the picture. It's the entire thing. Like it is part of a book cover. Did you notice that? Yes. Yeah. And there's also that- what what looked to be, uh some bends in it,
1: and mm-hmm. again, I'm I'm just assuming that this is recreated on, on a normal cover just to make it look this way, and we're not getting a PDF of a worn copy. Right, right. So the uh, when when you go in, you have a first page which has the credits on it, which we've already covered, uh, then the p- next page just has Fearscape, and it says, to open with, with an epigraph is to declare oneself an echo. So I already had to look that up, because I didn't actually know what an epigraph is.
2: I'm glad you did, because I forgot an
1: epigraph is a short quotation or saying at the beginning of a book or chapter intended to suggest its theme. So I guess the thought there is that if you're already putting what the book is about there, you're just kind of you're competitive in the book. No. Yeah, it's <laughs> quote it's it's credited to Vivian Darkplume, who I also had to look up. <laughs> and <laughs> Vivian Darkbloom The first thing that came up for that Was uh, the show Pretty Little Liars And I was thinking, really? That's, he's quoting Pretty Little Liars? And then I found out it is a uh, anagram of Vladimir Nabokov The writer of Lolita from uh, I don't even know when that was published 1955 Oh, The, the famous Russian author mm. So I assume that quote is from him at some point But I don't know that for a fact I found that interesting and already it's testing my intelligence and finding me wanting. So then we we co- go to the the first page of the story, which is a traditional nine page grid nine panel grid with no story, no photos in it or no photos, no drawings in it. Uh, just text. Hey is
2: John Byrne here?
1: Yeah, it's, it's remember, remember the what? issue you did with yes. all yeah sorry Rem, reminiscent of the Snowbird issue of uh, <laughs> uh, Alpha, Alpha Flight. Flight except far more uh, far more uh, I guess literary or thought provoking mm-hmm. and basically it's I guess it's our uh, lead character who's also our narrator and uh, to put it in a nutshell he's talking about you know the quality of writing and that type of thing but as we already know he is a plagiarist. But he's he's and we're gonna you know, we're gonna delve. Yeah, into but he doesn't salvation. see
2: himself as a plagiarist. He sees himself as a he improves upon what other people have done. Yes. And which he is think, he, he thinks there are no
1: original thoughts, therefore he's not stealing anything.
2: Yeah, which I had never really looked at pl- plagiarism in that light before. I thought that was I, I mean, I'm I'm not condoning it. I was just like, huh. Okay. Well I've always I've always seen plagiarism as
1: taking the cheat, easy way out. So I'm gonna, We'll see if this book will test that theory at any point in my, in, at my, uh, in my life here or in my reading of it. Um, the story opens up in a bar where Henry Henry is sitting with his agent but is apparently only his agent because he has a much more uh, affluent and, and prolific author who he represents. And as a favor to him, he represents this dude as well. And he's explaining to him that uh, you know, that, that he, he's just—he's basically telling him he's got
2: no writing skill. Yeah, you suck. Just just do what we ask you to do: translate the audiobooks that we asked you to translate, um, and just be done with it.
1: And uh, as as we, uh, he, and he, he, he ends or he doesn't end the conversation, but he he takes a drink from his beer and he says, "I don't want to hear about your f- novel." Yeah. Uh, and, and now we, we have him coming in as, as a narrator again, and he says, Dear Reader, you must forgive me. I was caught up in the romance of our beginning this tale together. I've never liked my agent. He was a swine of the highest order, a failed writer who looked to manage those with ability to make up for his own severe lack of it. So Now, we don't really know too much about the character yet, whether or not he's arrogant based on talent or if he's delusional. And it, we learn pretty quick that he's delusional
2: he and does they, have very high self-esteem
1: he, oh clearly and, he, and he's as, as we go on he's constantly changing his perception of things to place himself in the best light mm-hmm. Which I, I find that to be a fascinating fascinating way that the story is written to be quite honest with you I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that before so they, they end the conversation he tells them uh, f- forget, forget about your novel you don't have one in you And Henry Henry leaves, and he's just got those words ringing in his ears. why would he say such a thing? Did he think I had nothing new to offer the world? I may have translated the works of others, but I didn't simply copy them word for word. I improved upon them, again, justifying his plagiarism. The grammar, the rhythm, sometimes the story, often the characters, places, and settings, even the title on occasion. I was doing important work out of the spotlight, unlike Arthur Proctor, and that's the friend who uh, is basically his benefactor, and he's walking by a bookstore, and if you look in, there's, there's a whole shelf of Arthur Proctor novels on it. And uh, the narration goes on. 27 novels, all of them fantasy, all of them in the same trope-ridden, dragon-infested world, yet I am the one lacking in originality. Again, justifying his own existence against that of others.
2: Well, you know, of, it, Go ahead. It, uh, no, one of the things uh, when He's, he said that statement. I thought about a lot of the different books I've read for years and how a lot of them are the same tropes and themes from like the Dragonlance novels. And But, but then I thought of other, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings and then Stephen R. Donaldson. To, um, it, that's just where my thought went when I was reading some of this. All, for me, Donaldson does put it in a, in a um, like a fairy world. But it's got a really dark adult take to it uh, that that would be a whole nother show to try to get into that. I don't I don't know if you've ever read any of his uh, books.
1: No, I have not. Ah. Uh, But it does. You know, it does put start you thinking about when you're reading stuff or things. Excuse me. Let me talk more intelligently when you're reading things. That seem unoriginal or seem you know like been there done that, and it's not an uncommon event when you think about it. So in its own way, isn't that what he's doing? Isn't that a plagiaristic type thing? When when you get people who are just kind of repeating the same stuff over and over again.
2: Mm-hmm. So yeah, th- you when know, plagiarizing, are or can you plagiarize yourself? I think you can. Yeah. Uh, well former well I, i'm gonna call call myself out here if you read enough of one author long enough uh my case in point has been stephen king and dean r kunst you see things they use book after book the same types of weapons the same descriptions of characters the same uh, that you're like again again with this almost to the point where if you read too much of an author you can there's been a few times I've figured out what was going on before I got to the end of the book and I was a little disappointed like really You're, I was hoping you would have surprised me Now often a lot of those authors do or sometimes you have to take a step away from them and then come back. but I, I'm sorry this is getting to a book club show.
1: <laughs> well it, it's you know it, it's almost to try and characterize it uh, with a lot of authors and you know you, you could expand it onto music, and, you know, probably any genre of art, really, you can right. expand it to that a lot of artists, you know, whether it be in writing or painting or musical or whatever, are working in a certain genre, like you say, and all of their new things are almost a variation on the same theme. So therefore, they do start to plagiarize themselves. And you see it, I think, the most easily with musical artists where... Uh, they come out with an album that's very popular, and then when they try to do something different, it's rejected because people right. want the same style to be repeated. So, you know, it it, it this book, you know, this story, and I, I I'll give it credit. It's already got me, you know, it's got some thought-provoking ideas in here that are coming up. Our protagonist, I hate to call him the hero of a story, at least not yet. And we're only on issue one. Maybe as we proceed further, he will seem more heroic. Uh, maybe that will be his journey. I don't know. I, you know, so far we've only gone to issue one. But he uh, he's walking and comes across a street gang, the Tigers, who are uh, looking pretty threatening. They also feel like
2: they have luchador masks on.
1: Yeah, they do. And his, his take on it is effectively that, you know, he, because he's a translator, he translates his thoughts into his yeah. body language. And effectively what he does is he shows himself as so confident that they can't do anything to him that they'll leave him alone and Which they they do leave do. him alone now do they leave him alone because they were going to anyway or do they leave him alone because he's effective in that body language that i don't think we
2: really get an well i mean i think they left him alone because of his body language i think he's right if he had seemed timid and an easy mark then they they would have attacked him and then as he's walking away uh, one of the one of the tigers says keep keep walking now this is one thing i want to bring up this is not the first time that his narration covers up something in the story and i and that's a weird like i don't think they covered up walking and bitch because it was offensive because the previous page there is there's is a it was um, an f bomb well there well there's an f bomb and there's a oi faggot you yeah, know, I, I think it's because I think it's to show that he's
1: so he's wrapped up in his own thoughts, yes, he doesn't exactly. even hear what they're saying. He,
2: yes, he, that's that's where I was going with that. Is that he, even though these guys are showing bravado, he's so wrapped up in himself that his narration has just blocked them out. And and I hope that's what it's supposed to be, or at least I that's what I got out of it. Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly what was supposed now, to get out of it. What What I'm curious is is that was that conveyed directly from the author? Or was that something that the artist chose to do, or was it a combination of both?
1: And that's, if we ever get a chance to speak to Mr. O'Sullivan, something we'll ask him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So now he's home, and he's thinking about, you know, continuing to think about how he doesn't have a, you know, he was told he doesn't have a novel in him. He says, uh, he starts to justify uh, the thoughts, and in a convoluted way, he comes to the conclusion that the agent... Was telling him to go and get the manuscript from uh, Arthur, f- from Arthur Proctor, that Arthur <laughs> Proctor had been working on, and to plagiarize it. And he, it, but it's it's just wonderful, like the the yeah, way he he just idea. comes up with. This...
2: He's, yeah, he's saying that his his agent basically is, is telling him, "Hey, go plagiarize his book." Oh, the audacity! How how, how could my agent suggest such a thing? <laughs> Although I could see his
1: point. Arthur was dying. His novel is of no use to a dead man. And who was Arthur to claim the story as his own? His influences were my influences. We read the same books, watch the same television programs. I had no intention of stealing my neighbor's latest manuscript. I merely wanted to glance over it to see if the secret of authorship lay hidden within its coffee-stained pages. Arthur would agree with me if his health was better. I suppose, in a way, he was carrying out his wishes. You know what it almost sounds to me like? And this is kind of going to be a weird connection here. It almost sounds like the thought process in, uh, in, in, uh, what's his name? Uh, Norman Bates' mind. When they show him, when, you know, when you hear him narrating. Oh, I, yeah. It's just, I don't know, it seems like, like, you know, totally to me, the thoughts of a madman. <laughs> So he, he goes into his neighbor's den and he's looking around and there's the manuscript right on the desk, uh, with the title terror forming. And he's Is looking for- at it. When... Is that
2: foreboding for the story? Probably in
1: general. <laughs> so he's, he's as, as he's kind of going through it, uh, Arthur Proctor's daughter, Jill Proctor, uh, comes, comes into the house. So he, Quickly grabs the manuscript and sticks it into his jacket pocket, or inside his jacket at least.
2: Well, there's a note made of the letter opener on the desk, which I'm assuming a few issues later that's going to come into play because he even makes a note. He says, "Save for a library note for a collection of Chekhov plays." So you think it's Chekhov's Chekhov's letter Chekhov's opener. letter opener? Yeah, ch- yeah, yeah. Chekhov's gun. You know, when you see yeah. something in the first act, you're going to see it later in the third act. It's going to have some part to play. Yes. And, and
1: the thought is, you know, it's it's economy of storytelling that you don't bother to show it if you're not going to use it later. So mm-hmm. I think I think we take it even further here. Not only do we have that, but then we have the reference to check off. So yeah, it would really insane. be <laughs> like
2: smacking you in the head. Look. It would
1: really be flying in the face of conventionality if we never see that letter open again.
2: Which we will see that letter open again at the end of the end of the issue. So then Jill Proctor comes in. She's apparently
1: a pre- professional artist if you believe in such oxymorons he's <laughs> so full of himself you got to wonder what as, as mr o'sullivan was writing this book does he fear insulting the artist in the book by writing something <laughs> like that even though it's not his own thoughts it's his character's thoughts mm-hmm. but she comes in says, please tell me you're not stealing stuff again so apparently he's got a history here uh, how dare she suspect me of burglary i only placed the manuscript in my jacket to avoid confrontation Had she caught me Uh, holding it, it wouldn't seem believable to say I hadn't I had only desired a glance, not after last time. So you gotta wonder what happened last time. uh, So I was simply checking on your in on your father's library. I don't want to hear it, just get out of here. Why do you always try stuff like this? Dad is always so good to you. What's wrong with you? mm -hmm. So he's back in his house. I had no intention of thievery, my hand was forced. He's so pretentious and full of himself and full of justifications for everything he does. It's great. Mm-hmm. Were it not for Jill's intervention, I would have only taken a short glance of, I can't bring myself to say it. It was sort yeah, of he, over, he, the overblown title you might find emblazoned on a gothic gothic typeface across the cover of a
2: genre novel for Arrested Developments. Yeah, he can't even say the name of the... Of the now, can he not say the name of the manuscript because of the reasons he stated or is that what he's telling himself because he's trying to deny the fact that he stole the manuscript to begin with and if he puts a name on it it's it'll be like, like that would be kind of theft in his eyes and now that's why he wants to rename it to begin this whole process of plagiarizing it and making well, and, his own
1: and that's the next sentence in in the narration it would be the be the first thing, first thing i change. I'd change yeah. see already i'm forming my own now already my own novel was forming then there's a knock at the door and in comes the muse now interesting uh placement of word panels here again right right because there's narration panel directly over her face which when i first started reading this i thought oh maybe we're never going to see her face in this book
2: but no we don't because because and but the word balloon that's over her face i think conveys just why the word balloon is there it says no words could express her beauty in that moment So much so that we, as the reader, don't even see her because she's blocked by the word balloon. And it can't be drawn well enough
1: for us to truly appreciate it. It's so beautiful it can't be drawn in the book. There's another... Her her only words as she walks in is Arthur Proctor, with a question mark. And that's also covered by a narration balloon to some extent. So he's not even hearing her when she says that, if our previous uh, thought process was correct, which I believe it is. Mm -hmm. So then he he says yes to that but you know the thought process is he didn't even hear her say it he doesn't know what she's saying
2: yeah he's just like huh
1: this barefaced lie may have shocked you given the honest discourse between you and i thus far <laughs> <laughs> i love that but it was for her own benefit there is a kindness perhaps even honesty in using small lies to protect the fa- fragile nature of others and she she knew it was him because of the powerful work of fiction within the walls and we see a close up of the book that Arthur had been I don't know if he had completed it I don't know
2: if it's I don't well, call it is a completed manuscript if, uh, I think it was close to completion but its name is again it's terraforming and not terra as in earth but terror forming and the character of Arthur Proctor is actually has Alzheimer's and is in the hospital so is did he know i'm i'm curious did did he know the muse is coming that he was going to be drawn into this fearscape battle and that's the name of the book terraforming is also a play on words for like world building changing yes yeah
1: so you know i i don't know you know I, i guess it's it's supposed to be a pun in its own way but you know what what the underlying meaning of it is i don't know yet and while we do meet Arthur a little bit later in this issue I also don't know if we're going to eventually have him have a bigger role in the story or if he's just there to be the source of the initial con- you know contact with the muse. We're gonna have to find that out as we go further into this this story. So she says, Arthur Proctor, I am the muse. I come from the fearscape, a realm of dark magic where human fears exist as living creatures. Every generation, I seek out humanity's greatest storyteller that they might journey with me to the fearscape and overcome the greatest of all fears. (laughs) So then again, now he's got a, bolster himself by putting down others the narration says this was Arthur's secret creatures from other worlds spoon feeding him overly expositional drivel and to think he locked down on he looked down on me me for being a translator when he was little more than a stenographer
2: see see he he he's a plagiarist too just like me
1: (laughs) he's he's saying he's not even as good as me
2: well well yeah yeah
1: and she asks, she asks if he accepts the charge as storyteller. So that says to me that Arthur's never been there before,
2: or, or yeah, or that she's never met him at, at least. Yeah, you know, and, in, which would also in, explain in her not
1: knowing who you know that yeah. that, he, that this is not Arthur, right? And he does, and he he could hear a novel calling from its depths. Yes, of course. Let's get on with it. Look how feverishly I embrace the unknown. There was no Homeric or, vid, virgir, excuse me, Virgilic. Vir- Virgilic, refusal Virgil. it, of the yeah, call halting my step. Henry, Henry was no camber, Campbellian, Campbellian archetype. archetype. I was Gregor Samsa, reborn. See, there's references there that are beyond my knowledge of. Well, the literature. Campbellian
2: I think is the uh, like the hero's journey. Um, Homer is uh, Homer yeah. and Virgil. Oh. Uh, Gregor Samsa, <laughs> not <that> Homer. <laughs> Gregor <laughs> Samsa was the one I was I'm not familiar with off the top of my head he so now did, so. He, he, so don't feel walk, bad Paul
1: say, I'm, just, I'm, I'm not smart
2: but I um, love what's gonna happen here next but uh,
1: yeah, they walk through a doorway right into the fearscape there's a gateway and uh, she tells him that he he has to be uh, judged by the spirits of prior storyteller champions <laughs> critics <laughs> <laughs> and, and that they'll they'll determine whether or not he's worthy to uh, take on the challenge. Pure review, my old foe, it followed me even here. So she calls to awaken them, and he says, I will not be judged by the dead. How can I share a story with any modern message if I'm to be judged by the sensibilities of the past? And she, she's, you know, he's already kind of winning her over. He says, well, it is our custom although your words hold some truth.
2: Uh, <laughs> then let us speak of it no further. Tell me Dearest Muse, why do you need a storyteller to defeat the greatest of all fears? Why not just take care of it yourself? And uh, I, I only wish to guide your kind. I have little interest in fighting your battles for you. Yes, but why a storyteller? Why? Why not a pugilist of some kind? A boxer, perhaps? Maybe a soldier? And but what's nice here is like now that he's shut off and she's accepted that they won't be judged by the previous poets and writers. You could see these ghosts in the background. These ethereal shapes just kind of walking around them and as they walk um henry henry says he i i could sense the echo the echo spirits eyes clawing at me as i maneuver as i maneuver the muse away from them i have never felt such concentrated anger it was oddly flattering so yeah he's he's ditched all of, all of them and they're all like they're all pissed off because they didn't get a chance to say hey this guy's a fraud mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing
1: uh, so um, the fears are sentient beings. Their power in the fearscape equal to the fear your kind is for them in your world. See now this small fear before us, and we see there's a rat on a ledge, and he says it's not exactly, I knew exactly terrifying.
2: Exactly, he's going to go too.
1: And she says it, it was not always this way. Many years ago, it held the title of the greatest fears before a storyteller discovered its identity. And they show that the rat, kind of looking much more menacing-looking. And she identifies it as the Black Plague from the 14th century, which humanity feared above all else because that was carried by the rodents. And in those days, the storyteller was an Italian scholar by the name of Francisco Petrach. I'm probably mauling that, but okay. He, armed with Cupid's bow, made short work of the greatest of all fears. So he shoots that rodent thing, which then starts humanity
2: on a a renaissance yeah he was a a poet who was considered the founder of um um, humanism Uh, i'm not going to go through and define humanism
1: and As the story is being retold in the flashbacks, uh, we have a blank panel, and it says, Forgive me, dear reader, but I've elected to remove this image of Petrarch firing his bow into the heart of the greatest of all fears. While I adore the the irony of that love-lorn European blowhard firing an arrow into the heart of another, our tale is not one of violent titillation. We, We men of letters must disregard visceral thrill of murder. So they move on,
2: and... They come across. Do you right think this it, is something being said about censorship, you know, censoring things, or I don't know. Cent, I, it, it, it was it was a weird, kind of, like it kind of just stopped the story for a second. You're like, huh? Well, I, I think there could be something about
1: censorship in that, well, because
2: we see in the following panel that the rat is dead and there's blood all over. Yeah, it, so it's. But hmm. I
1: also think it's to remind us that we're be, we're getting the story through his eyes and it's what he chooses to show us
2: yeah almost like he doesn't want the other scene to overtop anything he's going to bring us yeah i, I to think there it. could be
1: some of that mm. so we move on and we, we meet up with is this the same uh the same uh, author the poet and he's still alive and he's sitting on a tree stump yes waiting for uh he's calling to laura and i don't know if the muse is laura but that's who he's talking to so "'I had thought my life wasted on loving something mortal, "'yet here you stand, not having aged a day. "'What brings you to the amorous woods? While you, "'Would you like to sit a while? "'I haven't much to offer, but... "'Laura, sweet Laura, my love, please respond. "'No, no, no, do not respond. "'Simply move, maintain your silence, "'but break your stillness, little ivory maiden. "'Turn your body towards me that I may know you hear my voice. "'Do not haunt me. "'I am little more than a ghost of myself these days.' Yet it is the same right, the same author, because she mm-hmm. says he defeated the plague, but he became consumed by his own story. This is one of the dangers you will face, storyteller. How coldly she ignored him. Was this to be my fate, used up and thrown aside like so many authors before me? I almost felt pity for the man, were he not such an insufferable fool. <laughs> I might... Wait, I have missed a key detail here. We skipped over it. You and I, let us backtrack. Could it be these amorous woods... Petrarch, a man of letters, would often write to St. Augustine. Perhaps this eternal August surrounding us, him, is a hint to that. Forgive me, I'm confusing August with autumn. No, it can't be that. We must dig deeper. Ah, here we are, the tree. It has a name, beginning with L. Larch, Linden, La something? It's no use, I can't recall. It will bother me, I'll be grasping at names all day. I've read about it. It's some sort of evergreen. It never sheds its leaves, whatever the weather. An immortal tree, you know the type. Thou knoweth. <laughs> My apologies, friends. My words still drift into archaic. Perhaps it's Petrax influence. Regardless, I've missed our symbol. Whatever it was, let us continue without it.
2: Now, I assume all of that... Now, a well, larch is a conferious tree with with bunches of... all these big words? Decidulus? Decidulus? Deciduous? Deciduous. Thank you, because I'm the guy that can't say hyper hyperbole bright green needles found in cool regions of the northern hemisphere which would be europe it is grown for its tough timber and its resin which yields turpentine
1: now what the significance of that to this story is we don't know but i'm assuming i can't imagine we we spent a a page going over it to not have it become a key point somewhere down the road
2: and a linden is a deciduous tree with heart-shaped leaves and fragrant yellow blossoms native to North temperate regions. And it is pale soft lumber used for carving and furniture. So yeah, these are actual trees. I was not familiar with those two tree names. I've heard of a larch
1: before, but I couldn't have told you. I've heard of a
2: birch, but not a larch. Now now we come across
1: three men who I assume are authors
2: from the past. Um... I'm not sure. Nor am I. I'm just speculating. Although later they all look the same. in that first thing, one of them has his top of his head is in shadow. The middle one is not in the bottom one. And I was doing see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. I didn't get
1: that from this, but it could be.
2: But later they're all seen as equals with nothing, no, not nothing. Depicting that, and it may just be something I read into it.
1: All right, well, we'll revisit them later. So now we cut back to, I guess, the real world where uh, Jill Proctor is walking the street and she walks by the uh, luchador wearing tiger group. And clearly they notice her, but they don't do anything. They let her walk right by. Uh, and she goes to the hospital where her dad is laying in a bed, apparently withering away. Uh, He says, uh, sorry if I sound moody, I just had a run-in with you-know-who. I don't know why you're friends with him. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. Anyway, when you're feeling better, I want to show you something. I think you'll like it. Are you feeling any better? And he's just sitting there staring at her. Yeah. She says, please come back, Dad, just for a day. I promise I won't ask again. I just want to say goodbye properly. And then we... Cut to a shot outside of the hospital, and you could see the oh. Tiger Gang looking at the hospital.
2: You think the Tiger Gang? They think the three, there's three tigers are the three guys. Mm, that could be a connection. Because there that look, we're look how get the fog is point. is around their bodies, and then we cut to these three guys walking. Like, I wonder if they're actually these three guys are the same three in the Fearscape. I don't know. We're gonna, we're gonna. I, I assume we're
1: gonna find out more as we move on from this. Mm. So we cut back from the hospital. We see the three of them looking at the hospital. I assume they're possibly waiting for her to come back out. I don't know. Mm. But we cut back into the fearscape. uh, Here we come to the end of our first chapter, and we have yet to show a villain to our tale. Very Shakespearean, wouldn't you say? Of course you would. You see the depth, the nuance. And then uh, the uh, three gentlemen are shown, and one of them says, My lord, another storyteller has entered the fearscape. And then uh, a voice of, I guess, our villain. "'Hast thou seen him with thine own eyes?' And they say, "'Yes, he's perfect.'" And then the person responds, "'Well, then.'" And then we get interrupted by another narration. "'Forgive me, dear reader, but we will not end our first chapter revealing our villain. "'We are not some trite genre novel in need of cliffhanger. "'We are creating literature together, friend.'" Yet despite this, we shall still find ourselves opposed by the casual reader, and even worse, its mutated older sibling, the Critic. Let us confound our inevitable foes. Let us end this first chapter with a trick that only we shall know the meaning of. Let it be a declaration of our ownership of this tale. Let us cast in these closing moments a series of images. Let them be random, unimportant, little trifles, and let these overly analytical, grid obsessed pseudo-intellectuals try to draw meaning from them, which is exactly what I do. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, he, that's
1: us, that's, and, that's and you. Because you, 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 know, you, you see this, he's got a series of, of six panels below the, that dialogue. Uh, showing six dispar- somewhat disparate images. We see the book terraforming sitting on the edge of the table. Uh, a sign that says "dead end." Now, most of is that a hand these... with a pen in it? Yeah. Uh, w- the uh, deciduous tree. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the other th- the next one is. But I guess a bookcase.
2: No. Oh. Um, no. I found most of these I- images uh, already. No, that's a bookcase. That is where. If you go back to Arthur Proctor's um, apartment or... Yes, if you go back to his apartment... Well, the pen is the pen that Henry has as Alvin, Alvin tries to climb the door. That's the pen when he's sitting on his couch in his apartment. He's holding the pin in his hand. Mm-hmm. So that's that image. And he goes to Arthur's apartment and that that image is... If you go to page 13 page 13 of the PDF, look at the top panel. That's the the table that the manuscript and the letter opener was on. That's the edge of the table bookcase. And then that appears to be some type of crib. And I say that's a crib because at the top of page um, 13 and at the top of page 14, we see Jill with her hand, and now you see that looks mm-hmm. like a child's crib.
1: Yeah, it does. You're but
2: right. who
1: would that be the crib she was in or would that be her child? who knows we don't know yet yeah so but- again he's you know whether it's rhino sullivan and the art artist uh creating these images to give us clues as to what's going to happen clues which i cannot put together or whether it is just disparate images that they were throwing out there to, to be red herring i don't know I don't think they're red herrings totally, but I don't know that the six are, are connected in a deep way.
2: Well, because the last the last image is the letter opener,
0: mm-hmm. so, which I, which you
1: got to think is going to come into play. So I don't think these and the book terraforming I think is going to be a factor. So I'm guessing right. all of these things are going to be factors in some way or another.
2: I wasn't able to find a dead end sign.
1: Oh, it's uh it's behind a word balloon
2: when he's with the tiger group oh there it is oh yeah yeah yeah. you're right yeah it's it's okay i i see it now oh yeah and, there uh, yeah it's actually on two 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 pages yeah there's one it's actually completely behind a word balloon except for the top but then the first show of the Tigers, the guy that's drinking out of the bottle that's directly above his head and i guess that's the bar oh, yeah. he's in called the blacks i guess he was in the bar called the, the blacksmith, blacksmith
1: probably yes so then the, the mm. final narration is bless you dear reader you are or bless you reader you are a dear friend and a worthy accomplice for accomplice for what is to follow and read ne- read the next issue <laughs> so uh, yeah i enjoyed this i enjoyed it a lot and i'm looking forward to reading the second issue and we'll cover it i don't know if we'll cover it on next week's episode or it'll if there'll be a little interlude before we get back to it but we are definitely going to cover it
2: Now, do these guys say he's perfect because they know he's full of crap? That's what I'm thinking.
1: I'm thinking they they think he's perfect because they could defeat him.
2: The muse has been tricked. You know, we've got a... So we've got someone that is not necessarily going to be a hero, but now may end up in his own way becoming a flawed hero. Which, if you've read any Stephen R. Donaldson, a lot of his characters... I don't actually... Dean Cooch does that, too. Usually, usually, like, the hero will have some flaw. Um, oh, I think it's common to have a flaw in the hero. I think it's uncommon
1: can, to have... But Donaldson's
2: the, characters usually have really big flaws and do really terrible, horrible things. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think it's uncommon
1: to have a, have a hero who's so
2: unlikable. <laughs> right. I mean, one of his characters uh, in the book... Uh, what is it? Lord Falzbane, which is the character of Thomas Covenant who's a man who's in the real world, and he contracts leprosy, and he loses uh, three f- uh, two fingers off of one of his hands. And um, he was an author, if I remember. It's been a long time since I read the books. And he, things happen in, in the real world that cause him to get knocked out and become unconscious. And when he wakes up, he wakes up in a, in a fairy tale place called The Land, and the land thrives on nature, and this and that, um, and life, and he is believed to be a hero reborn called Beric Halfhand, because he's missing the fingers, and he has a wedding ring made of white gold, and white gold is a symbol of of certain magic in this realm. So he's the white gold wheeler, and, and, and he's basically all this stuff is put upon him, and the whole time... He's basically saying, I don't believe it. And he's called the unbeliever and, and, and his whole. But when he gets to the land, he gets healed and his his body now can feel with the dead nerve endings. And one of the first things he does to repay the kindness that he's shown is that he rapes the uh, girl that found him and healed him with the power of, of the land. So on one hand, he's done this horrible thing, but he's being seen by all these other people and propped up as this hero reborn. And that's the kind of I kind of see that a little bit here. That's that's the that's the connection that I'm making with it is that Henry is going to although although Henry's a bit seems to be a bit of an a-hole. You think Thomas Covenant didn't really see himself. You know, he had to really be convinced of everything. And I mean, he did horrible things, but he didn't do it. He did it when he lost control, and people would just sacrifice themselves for him, and that's not what he, what he wanted. It, it's a good series of books. It's, it's like two, well, there's three series, uh, but that's all. I, I don't want to get too deep into that. Sorry, Babylon. I really like those books. I've read them twice over the past 30, 40 years.
1: Well, I agree, though, about the flawed hero and possibly even the unlikable hero, and I think it's a very difficult thing to do well uh because normally if if your characters are unlikable you know people aren't going to be drawn to it to want to read it so if you can write it in a way where people are going to read this unlikable hero and still come along to to check it out i think that you know that that you're doing something and Mm -hmm. uh so far through you know through one issue i can't you know i can't speak beyond that yet but through one issue i think uh he did a really good job of that. I think the artwork, and I don't think we oh, yeah. focused enough say, on the we, artwork.
2: Yeah, we didn't really t- talk about uh, the art. The art is very... Uh, um, it it has it's, a very fantasy world feel about it. Uh, but, the real world looks pretty real. Yeah, exactly. The fantasy, the world, fantasy looks, world looks pretty fantasy. And like some of the flashbacks that tell some history things look history <laughs> it, it's it yeah the art, i mean the art
1: style and the coloring and the, and the shadowing and all seem to change based on where we are and what what's going on in the the individual scenes individual scenes uh, and i think it, it creates a mood that's really well done but beyond that i think the uh the storytelling in it uh, you know you you couldn't this isn't one where you could get the storytelling done with just the pictures because there's so much psychological thing, so much psychological mm-hmm. uh, foreplay going on with this character's mind. Uh, but the pictures really complement the lang- the words really well. And, you know, the, the drawings are, are well done. It's, you know, his anatomy looks to be pretty well put together. Uh, I'm wondering if there's some sort of a famous uh, model that this character is based on as far as appearance.
2: Mm. I don't know. I didn't really detect any photorealism or. um, hmm. Yeah, not sure. He he almost has like a look like an older Keanu Reeves to me. You know. You know what? That is exactly what I thought last night. If I was going to cast this as a movie, who would I cast in these roles? And Keanu Reeves, I thought that, and I was like, I'm not going to say that to Paul because he'll think I'm an idiot. Well,
1: I do think (laughs) that, but that's besides the point.
2: What? (laughs) <laughs> or I would say like a younger Gabriel Byrne, because he's always looked old. I think Gabriel Byrne
1: would be a would be a good uh, a good choice for this. If you could get Gabriel Byrne from about twenty years ago to play the part, mm-hmm. yeah. And I don't know. They they look to me like they they're probably reference not photo referenced, but just character model referenced. That there's somebody he had in mind as he was drawing them. She and the- looks to me. I couldn't tell you specifically who, but to me she has the looks of like an old time movie star uh yeah if if i was gonna go current day maybe like a laura dern
2: mm-hmm. maybe a younger laura dern or because mm-hmm. uh, i was thinking who would be the agent and i was thinking um uh, to me it looked like gary oldman an old as, gary oldman well as uh commissioner gordon in the batman movies is what oh, he looked to me interesting I'm not sure I'm on with that one, but it's... Or, or, or uh, the, oddly enough, the other actor that just played P- Commissioner Gordon, who played J. Jonah Jameson. I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head. Uh, and I know it, and I can't think of it now. You see? <laughs> he does the Farmer's commercials, too.
1: <laughs> he first came to to my attention in the TV series Oz on
2: HBO when he oh, yeah. played yep. a white supremacist. <laughs> I believe that's one of the first places I saw him, too. Yeah, He played Schillinger. So the Muse... Hmm, I'm trying to think. The the muse really looks like somebody too, but I can't think who she be... she
1: almost looks like a variation on Jill Proctor. Like like yeah. it, could, it could be Jill Proctor with different hair. And I'm wondering if there's something there to that. I don't know.
2: Maybe his daughter was his muse in some aspects. Hmm. Yeah.
1: But uh yeah. I'm glad I'm glad we were provided this issue and I'm glad we had a chance to cover it.
2: Uh let's do let's rate it oh i'm I'm gonna give it a's across everything
1: especially for a first out first outing uh i guess the hardest thing to do with a a book like this is just to get your to get your initial audience because you don't have a built-in audience you're not you know it's not marvel comics it's not dc comics it's not gonna have that wide distribution uh so you need to have some sort of a hook to get people to to check it out, which I guess is why Mr. O'Sullivan's doing his due diligence and sending out PDF copies, hoping to get some reviews, or hoping to get some word of mouth out there on it, you know. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, job well done.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep, I agree.
1: And, yeah, we'll give A- A's across the board, and we'll see. Hopefully the credit, the, the quality stays as high as we go on.
2: We so, move on to the next time. Well, wait, no, wait, that's, 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 not, that's not for this show. So
1: we'll see you next time, everybody. Uh, Thanks for listening,
0: and uh, and we'll see you next week.
2: All right. See you later.
0: Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks internet radio network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Manzo Corps of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the Two True Freaks network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com please take a moment to stop by the two true site and check out their many other fine podcasts won't you thanks and we'll see you next week